What are you? Treasury? Foreign Asset Control? I'm in the CIA. What do you want from me? Your employers won't know you work for us. People you love won't know you do either. It's gonna get lonely, but it's how we like to do things. Come on, you can do better than that. I can, and I do, and so do the people in my unit. Which unit is that? The one that makes sure we don't get hit again. Welcome to Now Playing's Tom Clancy Movie Retrospective Series. You're not a field man, Jack. You never were. You are an analyst. Analyze that. Join us each week as we watch and review all the film adaptations of Tom Clancy's novels. Welcome to the CIA, sport. Hosted by Jacob. It is an honor to speak to you today. Stuart. No one understands this material better than you. And Arnie. I call it the way I see it. That's my job. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. There's a very real scenario here where we don't get out of this alive. Listener discretion is advised. Start the music. Today, we are in Clear and Present Danger, starring Harrison Ford, Willem Dafoe, Ann Archer, and James Earl Jones, directed by Philip Noyce. This is the now playing co-host who's a Latin Jack Ryan, Arnie. And Stuart. Oh, and I'm a Latin Stuart in L.A. This is Jacob. (laughs) Hey, now, don't appropriate my culture. (laughs) So, Jack Ryan, not everyone loved the movie last week. Tom Clancy agreed with me. It was bad. And he had clout. He could do something about it. I think he actually wanted to stop them from making Clear and Present Danger or any other movies from his books because he felt like that adaptation had not. And it didn't. It didn't honor the themes of his book. It looks like he lost out. Was there a lawsuit? Like, what what happened? A lot of money. I mean, money. (laughs) You know, Hollywood can always do that to you, right? They add a zero to the paycheck. I have principles. I have standards. (laughs) You, you, You hurt my property. Yeah, well, how about this? Oh, okay. Sure. I mean, Stephen King is living proof that no matter how unsatisfied he is by every adaptation of his work, he keeps selling them. But anyway, we are covering the fourth Jack Ryan book, and they skipped the third. Cardinal of the Kremlin was the book published right after Patriot Games. Is that about Russian Catholics or something? <laughs> well, you are right. The Kremlin, I think, gives it away there. It was a direct Red October sequel, which you'd think they'd want to do. It was actually one of the many characters in the novel was the Cardinal. He was a mole that fed information to the American government. He's part of the reasons why Jack Ryan was able to figure out why the Russians were sending all of their fleet out into the Atlantic Ocean. He had the intel from the Kremlin. And this book says he's done, he's ready to retire, and we need to extract him from behind the Iron Curtain. Is Jack Ryan in this book? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Jack Ryan is one of the people helping him do that. Which, again, in 1988, you could probably tell that story with some level of suspense. 1994, there is no Soviet Union anymore. I mean, I do think that just part of the problem is you'd have to make it another period piece. Like, one of the subplots is the Russians are in Afghanistan. Well, we know Rambo drove them out. (laughs) The Taliban had already struck the World Trade Center, like, in 93. People forget that, but there was that car bomb first attack like we already knew afghanistan was under new ownership for lots of reasons it wouldn't feel current you could have made 
Cardinal of the Kremlin, but it would have been something that would have been cooler now. I think there's a, a an 80s nostalgia now, but in 1994, we were looking back to the 70s. We wouldn't have wanted to make an 80s period film. Well, I got to ask you then, Stuart, Clear and Present Danger, that novel, I think of Clancy, you know, getting endorsed by Reagan, rah, rah, America, a book critical of the drug war and the president of the United States. Like, does this movie it follow the novel? Like, does he get critical of the American president? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just say this is the favorite of the books that I've read so far. Three books in and clear and present is my love <laughs> for this book. Because, yeah, it's not what I have been told. I have been told Tom Clancy was a diehard American Republican zealot who would always say rah, rah, rah and clear right and wrong. And it's very much a movie about murky politics and looking at all the ways power can be abused, including by American presidents. It is actually going to dare to say it's Jack Ryan versus POTUS, which is a lot of this story that we see has been constructed so that it is the same story told in the book, but with Jack Ryan doing everything. Uh, Jack Ryan in the novel maybe appears in less than 100 pages of a 700-page novel. Here, they're going to make him the central figure. They have to. It's Harrison Ford, right? It's his thing. And Harrison Ford is a very big star now, even bigger because The Fugitive had just come out, nominated for Best Picture, probably his biggest solo hit, not a franchise film. And Clear and Present Danger was the biggest selling book of the 1980s. Nobody sold more hard copies than that book. Like, that's it. The best-selling book in Just Say No, Reagan, America, was a book critical of the war on drugs. That blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, 1989. And, you know, it's already at risk of being in danger making that movie in 1994. Look at what had changed. All right, Reagan and Bush are gone. Clinton, maybe he didn't inhale, but we had a different perspective about <laughs> the war on drugs. Pablo Escobar is dead. Miami Vice is canceled. We're seven years beyond Iran Contra. It is feeling just about as dated as the Soviet Union here. They have to rush this one out. Whenever they have a president in movies, a lot of times they'll do that thing like contact did where they showed footage of clinton and pretend it's the current president but whenever they bring in somebody as an actor i always wonder what are they going for are they going after a specific president this is hw bush right i thought this was reagan i mean a really old thin guy with a warbly voice at times i thought they were going specifically after reagan i mean it feels like he was put in Seth Brendel's, like, transporter with Bush. Like, it's <laughs> Reagan-Bush. I mean, the war on drugs, they co-owned that. And Bush had the connections to the CIA, so lots of people were suspicious about what he did during that time. Like, yeah, I, I got a Bush vibe off this. But again, very surprised that Clancy would be critical. I think he had to go there because keep in mind, he puts out Patriot Games in 1987 and says, it's terrible that people would play these kinds of things and fund militias inside other countries and then to their faces say to those countries, we don't have a problem with you. He was already critical. <laughs> it was, The cat was out of the bag. So what's interesting is he's going to take the thing that he started with Patriot Games and then clear and present danger, he's just going to expand upon it. Like it is going to be a movie that debates the politics of Patriot Games. And I appreciated that about the book. I do think that I didn't need 700 pages of it, but I do feel like I was really engaged in a way that I wasn't with the previous novels. 
But it would be a tough one to adapt, I gotta say, not just because Jack Ryan is barely in it. So many subplots, so scattered throughout, I really wondered how they were going to pull this off. I have never seen this movie, and I didn't really know what its reputation was. I thought that it had been received kind of with a shrug and some compliments for Willem Dafoe. That was all that I seemed to remember about it coming out. Yeah, I thought I had seen this at some point. There's only one scene I remember, and that's when they're analyzing some audio in the CIA lab. And maybe they use that clip like talking about sound design and sound editing during the Oscars, and that's what I'm remembering. I don't know, but I, I remember one specific scene. But I again, I couldn't tell you who the bad guys were, what the dilemma was here. But I think maybe I had seen it, but this basically first time viewing for me because I had no memory of it. And I remember... That when this came out, I had no interest after seeing Patriot Games. I mean, this came out during Forrest Gump's reign at the box office. I saw Forrest Gump in theaters. I didn't see this. And for what it's worth, this also came out around the same time of Color of Night. I didn't see that in theaters either. (laughs) 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 Which one's better? We'll discuss. Yeah, we're just living 1994 all over again. But I did remember this getting better reviews, and I specifically remember it was summer, I had my first apartment, it was 1995, I'd heard good things about it, and the reviews made me decide to give this a rent, and I remember being like, yeah, better than Patriot Games, but whatever, and have never thought of it since. I remembered Willem Dafoe, I remembered thinking he was good in it, that was really my only memory. I couldn't tell you what they were fighting. What I could say is, on a rare occasion, Defoe is not Defoe. He is. <laughs> he was going to be working with Harrison Ford, not against him. That was all I knew coming in. Yeah, I assumed he was the bad guy. In fact, it was a real surprise. Well, I think I, you know, when I read the the novel, I was starting to picture him as Clark. But uh, yes, once it was confirmed by the movie, I was like, oh wow. But I don't know. Is he a good guy? I guess we'll discuss that. It's part of the the gray moral ambiguity of this movie that uh, maybe all of them are a little bit bad here. During the opening credits, though, I have to say I was really, really worried. Benjamin Bratt is in this? I saw that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Again, as I said, with the TV movie of Andromeda Strain, he's not a bad person, but if he's in a project, it often isn't very good. He's a harbinger. And I got a little nervous then. I think coming off The Fugitive and the good critical buzz, the popularity of the book, the fact that they turned this from R to PG-13 probably expanded the audience as well. They got about 50 million more in the States on this, and it was up for Oscars. They actually got a sound effects and sound nomination. Okay, so maybe I just saw that scene when I watched the Academy Awards then, if that's what it got nominated for. They lost to speed, for if, in case you were wondering. But yes, they basically increased the profile. If it looked like the appeal of Jack Ryan was shrinking after Patriot Games, this seemed to be reversing course. So they didn't win for best score? No. Because apparently, according to Wiki, a lot of this music is directly from James Horner's soundtrack for Gorky Park, just played with different instruments. Mm, There's some (laughs) alien stings in here, too. Again, I always know when he's playing the alien song. So I wonder if they just couldn't be nominated for score because, ah, you wrote this years ago. Well, let's find out what they did do. Arnie, God help you. <laughs> I salute you. Tell us <laughs> what you can of the plot, and we'll get into this very dense, clear and present danger story. United States President Bennett 
played by Donald Moffat, vows revenge on the Colombian drug cartel that assassinated an old friend of his. Never mind that this old friend was helping smuggle drugs for, and stole $650 million from, drug lord Ernesto Escobedo. Bennett tells his national security advisor, James Cutter, played by Harris Eulin, that the cartels present a, quote, clear and present danger, unquote, to the United States. Meaning, Cutter should use America's military might to shut down the cartels, but quietly. It's into this mess that Jack Ryan, again played by Harrison Ford, steps when promoted to acting deputy director of intelligence. He has no idea his peer, the director of operations, Bob Ritter, played by Henry Zerny, is conspiring with Cutter to have a commando unit infiltrate Columbia and kill the cartel lords. This unit is led by John Clark, played by Willem Dafoe. A wrench in the works is that Escobedo's right-hand man, Colonel Felix Cortez, is planning to betray and overthrow the kingpin. Cortez even stages an attack on an American convoy, of which Jack is a part, to frame Escobedo. When Cortez realizes the U.S. military is behind the attacks, he arranges a meeting with Cutter, and they make a deal that Cortez will reduce distribution of drugs to America and offer up some arrests to make America look good in the war on drugs if Cutter will betray the commando team so Cortez can kill them and look strong. Cutter agrees, and Clark and his commando team are burned. But when Jack finds out about all of this, he flies to Colombia. He and Clark team up to save the three surviving commandos, with Escobedo and Cortez killed during the rescue. Ryan then confronts the president with his findings. The president threatens Jack, saying only Jack's career will be hurt if all these dealings become public knowledge. But despite the threats, Jack is the Boy Scout the others had claimed him to be, and he begins to testify before the Congressional Oversight Committee as credits roll. And as we get started... We're in the Caribbean with the Coast Guard riding up on a yacht from Alabama and two guys from Columbia bloody because they they raped and murdered everybody and threw them overboard. They raped? I didn't catch rape. Uh, maybe some of that is bleeding over from the book. I, I think so. I just got murder off of this. <laughs> yeah, it's a major subplot in the book that this Coast Guard captain finds this ghost ballistic fakes a hanging, says, I have the right to prosecute you right here and now, and strings them up in a noose. And then it becomes this debate about power and going too far and the court case. And there are people mowing lawns in Alabama that get shot. I can't tell you how much of the novel they just throw out when they say, eh, it's two guys on a boat and that'll kick off the start. Yeah. You, you know what's more effective is like they board the yacht and one's like, send over the video camera. Boom. Tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> like something awful has gone on. Let's move on. There's nothing wrong with condensing an 800 page novel nope. if it doesn't need to be a four-night miniseries. If this doesn't need to be Noble House, why make it Noble House? Agreed. And again, if it is a Harrison Ford star vehicle, have him be the one to go investigate. Brilliant idea. Again, Jack Ryan didn't show up for 250 pages and then didn't do much for a while. Like, So it's really something to see him right from the get-go being told by Greer to yeah find out about this and go to the White House. The first time Jack Ryan has ever stepped foot into the Oval Office, he's got a report on this personal friend of the president being murdered. Yeah, but before that, we get the important answer to last week's question. What sex was his baby? Oh, yeah. And they repeat a joke. At the end of the last movie, Jack was saying to his daughter... What do you want for breakfast? You can have toast or toast. Well, now the daughter is saying that to his new son. Mm -hmm. John, 
Who is playing with the submarine? I like that little detail. Yeah. Jack Jr. Jack Ryan's name is John. They say that many times. They call him Jack. They said his full name in the trial last movie. I can't remember Jack's middle name, but it's John something Ryan. They call him Jack. But in this movie, they called his son John. You know, my dad was named the same as me, and they called him Arnaldo and me Arnie to avoid confusion. So you got Jack the dad and John the son. Well, good. Now we don't need to see the family again. Boy, nope. I'll tell you, after last week, <laughs> where everything was about my family, my family, my family. Boy, did Ann Archer get a line in this? She is barely registering. No, they went out of their way to bring Ann Archer into this. Again, I see them fighting to try and have a strong female character in a book about a bunch of men. They give Ann Archer what they can. Yeah, she's going to recognize some FBI woman when she goes out for tea. That's about it. But she won't actually do anything with that case. If you follow that through line, they end up IDing the guy from a voice message on an answering machine and not because she saw him at a restaurant. Yeah. But if it hadn't been for her seeing the secretary with him, they wouldn't even have known to investigate the secretary's murder as part of the cartels. Well, that's at the very end, though. (laughs) It comes back. This is almost two and a half hours long. It comes back two hours later. Okay, if you want to say that Jack Ryan's family is an asset in this film, I'll let you do it. No, no, no. All I'm saying is they're trying to give Ann Archer something to do. They're not succeeding, but they're trying. We can agree with that, but I also want want to underline the not relevant part. This is a movie about Jack Ryan trying to step into the shoes of Greer. You know, I think James Earl Jones plays it. You don't know for a while, but he's got like bloodshot eyes and he's kind of like wobbly in all of these early scenes i kept expecting him to pull a nick fury like he's faking his death for some reason (laughs) i don't know why i think they do that in the series but i'm like he can't kill off james earl jones i noticed when he was convulsing or something during jack's briefing in front of the president i'm like oh boy he's and james earl jones he's not going to be around for long yeah he's going to step aside because he's got pancreatic cancer he'll need to be in the hospital and this is an opportunity for Jack to do duties, learn things he wouldn't normally as just a mere analyst, and really, yeah, take charge of an investigation in new, exciting ways. That's a fun little twist here is that now Jack Ryan is going to be, I guess not head of the CIA, but that he's taking Greer's position, that he's going to be taking a stronger role. I wish the two other movies like had set this up better so it'd feel like a big deal that I really cared about Jack Ryan, but in, in the context of this movie, I, it's a nice little development. Yeah, I feel bad for James Earl Jones. I mean, pancreatic cancer, oof, that's like one of the worst possible ways to die. I, I'm scared of it constantly. You know, when he's like, they say maybe they can operate. You, you can't operate on pancreatic cancer as I understand it. I'm not a doctor, but man, that is nasty so i actually feel for that character but yes it is also a convenient story reason to promote jack into a role he is not prepared for he's an analyst he's not ready for the backstabbing of the political game and and that's a good thing to do you want a character you want an underdog someone that's not comfortable where they are someone feels like they're in over their head like that's just good drama so i i'm glad i'm getting some kind of development with this character i haven't cared a whole lot about at least they're putting him in interesting situations now yeah and you mentioned arnie that many times in this series in fact every time we're in the cia you can look at the wall and see who's president is it going to be bush is it going to be clinton here they have to because of where the story goes they have have to create for the first time a fictitious POTUS. We have President Bennett 
And yeah, I agree. He is Reagan Bush, but coming two years into the Clinton presidency. And he is trying to fight a war on drugs. He is trying to say that these drug cartels, they killed my friend. When he gets the knowledge that the Cali cartel sent people to board this yacht, he doesn't yet know why. He's ready to, to national policy to implement this and just say, let's go get them off books. Aren't you glad that in real life you don't have, uh, we've never had a president who would use the American military <laughs> might for personal vendettas? <laughs> To march down to a church? I mean... <laughs> yeah, it would be great if this were only in the movies. But for now, just as last week we didn't have the IRA, we don't have the Medellin cartel. We don't have Pablo Escobar. They're going to more or less insinuate that this fictitious cartel is, in fact, the historical figure. Cali cartel, I don't think, really exists. Ernesto Escobedo. I mean, it's it's kind of pathetic. I thought it was close enough where I'm like, okay, I see what you're doing because I kept writing down Escobar every time. Escobedo <laughs> sounds like the thrift store version. It does. <laughs> the dollar store <laughs> drug cartel kingpin. And he's like, you know, the guy was skimming for me. We see him introduced holding a baseball bat. He's not doing Scarface. I think it's funny that he's actually trying to improve his swing. And he is consulting with this Cuban named Felix Cortez who's trying to tell them, don't provoke Americans. You can't board American yachts and kill people, even if they are stealing $650 million from you. What is with that weird slow-mo baseball shot? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, yeah, there, it was a scene that drew attention to itself. I have no idea why. It's right after Cortez says that the man they killed was a good friend of the president of the United States. And then it just goes into the slow-mo. Like, <laughs> is it trying to say that Escobedo is having, like, a vertigo moment where time is slowing down for him as he realizes the magnitude of his fuck-up? But <laughs> it doesn't look like it was shot in slow motion. I guess that's the problem. It looks like it was post-production slow motion, so it didn't look great. This is a very different from the book, because in the book... It was the presumption, kind of like Patriot Games, where all the Americans were like, oh, the IRA, they'll never strike here. These guys are like, oh, the Americans, they'll never send the military down here. They they don't think they have anything to worry about because it's not American policy to instigate cells within a country to do their dirty work. That's not how America plays. And when we do see it play out... You know, I think this is very real world. Like, this is why you can never find that damning evidence to impeach a president, because it's all unspoken phrases. Like, the way we see the president communicate with Cutter and, and send the, you know, Ritter in to, to plan this mission. Like, again, th this film's about that murky gray in politics, and you're going to get it right away. I mean, it's not even controversial, right? We just assume. I mean, this is the way it is done, right? I mean, I don't remember anyone saying that Obama should step down because he killed bin Laden this way. I mean, it was seen as a victory. This is what we want. We want to spare our troops, not send them to the battle lines if it can be done by 12 people. And there's a slight difference between where we work with the governments or view them as enemy countries. Escobedo didn't take down the World Trade Centers. Like, this is a personal vendetta of the president's. I think that's the difference. And they're not working with the Colombian government. They're not saying we are bringing in these men. They're doing this completely rogue. It's the same way the government will never admit to actually assassinating people. <laughs> 
Right. And Clancy makes a big point. He goes into the history of how Colombia is a democracy. Like, it's one thing to do this in a communist country. Maybe he's giving Reagan a pass there with Nicaragua. But yeah, if you have a democracy and you don't respect that, then what does that mean about our democracy? But I like the names here. It made it really easy. Cutter. You know this guy's a bad guy. He's a cutter. And he's the one who's talking to the president. And then you got Ritter. You know, you got the two T's like cutter. So cutter and Ritter. More than either of the previous two films, it became real easy to know who's talking about what. But I could not believe Cutter actually gave Ritter orders in writing. I I thought this was off the books. I thought nobody put anything in writing. Well, you can see he doesn't want to, but it was, again, you're, you're talking to the CIA deputy director. He's going to want to cover his ass. Yeah, he's just going to fake a letter from the president, giving him authorization. Yeah, I mean, he, he has something in writing. I get out a free card. He wrote it himself, though. I don't know if that's how it works. No, Cutter signed it, hand signed, so... Yeah, but it's said by order of the president. Okay, I thought he was forging something from the president. Well, I mean, maybe he has the authority to speak for the president. Again, the president knows but doesn't want to. That, that is the, the language in which they talk, where he's like, I want you to do this, but I don't... Don't directly involve me in case I get ever put onto a witness stand. I don't want to have to lie and say, yes, I did know. Does that feel like Reagan? Maybe a little. (laughs) Reminded me a little bit of Iran-Contra in certain ways. Oh, they're going to call it out by the end. Like, no one remembers anything. But Ritter has a problem because he's director of operations, and now there's this new, they call him the Boy Scout as director of intelligence. Right. The CIA, in 99% of all movies, is known for this shady shit, right? Like, there's never any movie where, like, the CIA is the hero. No, they're always the bad guy. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of weird to have a Jack Ryan here, to to have a figure that says you can be a CIA analyst and do the good stuff. I think it's because, up to this point, all he's done is write reports. No harm can come from that. Now he's going to have to live with decisions made from those reports. And that's where it does get ethically murkier. Will the Boy Scout lose his badge? Will he lose his soul as he steps in here? He's definitely going to have to lie to Congress in order to get this funding for this new 12-man squad. You, you say lie to Congress. He doesn't know about this 12-man squad. He's, he's getting authorization for the more money for the drug war if he doesn't send troops in. And because he doesn't know Ritter is planning this, I think he feels like he's telling the truth. It, which, again, we know what Ritter has done by this point. So when he's promising, oh, yeah, nothing's going to go to covert operations, like, oh, Oh, great. Another great little dilemma to see play out in this movie. Like, real good story hooks for me in this one. Yeah, again, I mean, I, much later in the film, Jack Ryan's going to say something about, if I dig into this anymore, I'm not going to like what I find. It's, you know, he probably could know what he's funding, but Ritter is protecting him by not sharing. Like, Ritter's the one contacting Willem Dafoe. And Ritter is the one that is going to just keep him out, not only because he's afraid the Boy Scout will blow the whistle, but also it's just a good way of protecting yourself. Like, the less people know, the less they can say something when they're called before the court. You're making Ritter sound much more benevolent than he is. Like, Greer even says, watch out for Ritter. I think from the beginning, the reason Ritter keeps him out is because Ritter is setting him up. Ritter is copying him on reports that intelligence wouldn't necessarily get. They're making sure that 
Jack takes the fall. These guys are experienced backstabbers, and Jack is a straight shooter. Yeah, good point. He wouldn't even see it coming. He wouldn't even know to expect it, because look who he's been dealing with his entire career. James Earl straight-talking Jones, the kindest guy there is, and now all of a sudden he's stepping into this job where everybody is setting him up as the new guy to fail, and the president doesn't really care who does. So we have enter Willem Dafoe. Again, the surprise is he is not... Well, I don't know. Let's debate that. This is the time to debate that. Is he a bad guy? It certainly seems like we're meant to like something about him. It seems that his world weariness comes from doing probably jobs that may be unethical, but at least he's good at them. Yeah, you know, he's a commando. He's doing black ops. Questionable, but I don't feel like he knows that something's being pulled over with the CIA, that this isn't a fully, like, authorized mission. You know, it's Ritter, and they've gotten some authorization from Cutter, but, like, not everyone in the government or the CIA is on board with this. I don't feel like he knows about all the secrecy. Maybe that's naive and you just assume all that when you're at this level. Who knows? I think we're to like him because of the way that he protects the troops. When we see him personally pick out the men that are going to go with him and certainly with the way that he's going to fight to get them out of danger, I, I do get a paternal sense of this is... Certainly in this movie, it seems like this is his only family. If you read the book, you'll find out he does have a wife and kids not far from CIA headquarters. Yeah, because I've read other Clancy novels that haven't been made in the film, like Clark and Chavez, those are big names that stuck out to me because they become big characters in the ones I've read. And I know Clark, that's who we're going to learn about. We're going to get his backstory and without remorse if they stick to that novel. So that kind of ruined it for me. I'm, I was kind of on, on Defoe's side because I knew that character Clark is a good guy in the books. Yeah, to be clear, Michael B. Jordan is playing the Willem Defoe part when we get to the new movie. So a lot happened. Between his origin story and, and, and this one. <laughs> I don't think there'll be much continuity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say something risky. Willem Dafoe's character of Clark here, my favorite character in the series thus far, maybe till the end, even better by a hair than Sir Sean Connery. I really like this guy. I like his attitude. I've always had a thing for commando squads. I guess it goes back to the A-team or something, but I'd much rather see and in video games play a group of highly specialized, skilled people who work as a small unit than play a bunch of troops. You don't want to be an old commander on a sub? Yeah, exactly. I just, I like Defoe's performance in this. He's game. He's fun. He, he's cautious and smart, but yet excited. They offer him a battalion. He's like, I don't need a battalion. I need 12 good guys. He tests them all. I really like this guy. I want his own movie, too. He's really the star of the novel. I would encourage you, Arnie, if you're really that into it, maybe pick up the book because he gets a lot more time than Jack Ryan does. And I think you're right. Part of what we respond to with him, whether we like him or not, is at least he's an active character. He's not going to just write a report. He's actually committed to doing things and living by a code. And so that's interesting. But all the people that he picks up here, Ramirez and Chavez. Benjamin Bratt. Yeah. <laughs> they have huge storylines in the, in the novel. You will get to know them as characters. Yeah. The only one you get to know here is Chavez because he's got this cool scene as a sniper where he's able to like sneak up really close on the targets and they can't find him. It's a fun little scene. Again, this one, I feel like we get a good balance in this film between the technical stuff and just the fun action stuff like I'm just enjoying this one a lot more thus far I don't think we find out 
I think I only got this from the book that he is an LA gangbanger and that he has a personal reason. No, that is not in the movie. <laughs> no, not at all in the movie. <laughs> this is why he wants to strike the narcos is that, you know, drugs hurt his community. And so he loves the idea. All of these people have no family, no, you know, it's been robbed from them or taken from them or they're just loners by trade. And so they have this deep commitment like the president a personal reason to stop the drugs from flowing over the border into america yeah here he's just a kick-ass sniper and i love snipers and this guy he just he's so good even clark and his men can't find this guy and when he stands up he's right in front of them the way everyone jumps when he hits the target i don't know that i want to read about them because i really like the performances these actors are giving even though benjamin bratt's giving me nothing but I got to pick on him a little. <laughs> Jesus, even when he's doing well. But he's a piece of crap. <laughs> no, literally, he's giving me nothing here. He's neither good nor bad. I don't know if I want to go into to a shooting fight with him. Like, I, w- I want someone like Chavez getting my back. Yeah, Chavez and Clark were the two that really had me smiling in this. And the performances matter a lot here. Sure. And so we have a lot of scenes interspersed with all the Jack Ryan stuff. We see these are the people that will find the drug processing centers and blow them up. They stop the planes that are flying across the border. Yeah, I thought things were going to go a lot worse for them way quicker. And that was going to kind of be one of the big dilemmas in this film is, oh, this American commando team got shot down after he said you weren't going to send commando teams in because we see Escobedo, he's like just out on his porch one night. He hears the helicopter that they're flying in on. So I thought he was going to catch on much quicker. I I don't think he's very bright for being a drug cartel leader. No, I agree. (laughs) He ends up being manipulated into a lot that he has no awareness of. Yeah, Escobedo is played like a really stupid cartel leader, which is why Cortez sees a real opportunity to manipulate and to take over here. And I've seen both depictions in a number of movies. Sometimes you have them just, you know, Scarface going overboard with the luxury and not really paying attention to things. And other times you have them, the buttoned down businessman who's got everything just so. So here we've got both. And I really thought Escobedo would be killed by Cortez a lot earlier than he was. Well, we got to keep making it a Jack Ryan story is I think why we don't. We, in the novel, I think it does seem to come a little early, but, but the, the more important storyline so far is Jack has to prove that POTUS is not connected to cartels. The, the news media has gotten wind that there's this friend from school days who, yeah, died on a yacht. That's tragic, but was embezzling all of this money for drug lords and skimming off the top and feeding it into malls around the country. It sounds very dense. It sounds like the kind of scandal you don't want to come out. Whitewater, as it were. And so Jack Ryan's got to shut that down. He's got to prove that this guy was innocent, even though he wasn't. So he's going down to Columbia. No, I I took this very differently. You might be getting confused with the book again, because what I got out of this movie, and I was paying so close attention to this movie, is the president wants the $650 million. Yeah, can we talk about that for a second? Because, man, how little debt did we have in 1994 <laughs> where $650 million was going to fix everything? <laughs> Well, he says it's worth 10 times that in political capital. If he can get this money from the cartels for the U.S., then 
he topped the polls or something. And But what they have to have is proof that his friend was working with the cartels. Otherwise, other governments are going to try to take the money. And so the president specifically tells Jack, you have to go down to Colombia to establish it. You have to prove that my friend was working with the cartels so that we can get all this money. Well, yes, privately, they need to establish that. Yeah, Jack Ryan says, I can't be sure where this money came from. It's just sitting in a bank account. But publicly... He cannot have that come out. He is constantly being asked wherever he goes, did you know that guy? And and Jack tells him, tell him the truth, you know, get out in front of it. And he's always like, no, I don't know him. I don't know anything about it. They need to create the idea that he was just in a coffee business with this drug lord. But then they change it. Jack says, get out in front of it. Say, if they say, did you know, if was he your friend? Say, no, he was my best friend. If they say, was he your best friend? Say, is he your lifelong friend? And then you cut to the president and go, he was my lifelong friend. It is a real small point that is mentioned and dropped real quick in the movie. No, he denies that he was his friend. No, in the movie, he admits that they're best friends to the press. That's the direction Jack Ryan gave him. Going back to that Boy Scout thing, just tell the truth. He doesn't listen to Jack Ryan in that moment. He does. There's a scene where you see him tell the press we were lifelong friends. And Jack Ryan says, I told him to say that line to his wife and his daughter. Yeah. Oh, well, then bad ears. I heard the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting the impression POTUS was not listening. That, and again, we'll see that later that he like, I want that money. And when, you know, Jack Ryan goes down there, it's like, yeah, the Colombians kind of want that back. He gets hung up on. Yeah. He sends someone from the FBI down there that has connections with the government to tell him you're not getting that money. I got the impression overall, and maybe it's some bleed over from the book or maybe it's just having seen this movie only once it's really dense and kind of hard to follow yeah that he was being uh still treated like an analyst okay thanks very much but i'm in charge here and i don't need to hear much from you they're sending him on a lot of missions for a director i would think that the director would primarily stay in the office and send the analysts on these missions the president is sending him off a lot of places to go research a lot of things he wants that money that's why he needs that connection made and again don't we want to see harrison ford be active and do things do we really want him behind a desk this entire movie it would be something to do you could stage this like an ensemble where there are 40 different characters and he's just one of them it's like traffic or something like that but I think that would be counterintuitive to the way that we think of a Jack Ryan movie. I want these movies to be smarter. I want to see some analysis stuff. I said before, give me a good montage in the middle of the film where he cracks something more than just noticing a ponytail flip back and forth. Like, give me a good little montage like that. I'll be satisfied. But I do, yeah, I want that nerdy side along with the action stuff I'd expect Harrison Ford to bring. There is a little nerdy side. We do have an analyst going through all of the president's friend's discs. Yeah, he's got to crack that password code. Yeah, and that actor I knew real well, Greg German. He's a character actor I've seen in a million things, but I can never like pinpoint what. The big thing for him was he was the boss on Ally McBeal for like all seven seasons. Mm, okay, never watched that. Named Fish. So it was just a big thing for me. I'm like, oh my God, Fish is the analyst and he was playing a nerd and he had a big thing behind him. You, nobody knew what this is, but it's big for me. There's a huge wall and like a robotic arm moving around it. I actually sold those in the 90s. What it was is you couldn't have hard drives big enough for all your data. So you had like a thousand hard drives in a wall and a robotic arm that would go get the one that has the data you're looking for. 
Oh, so it's like Rogue One when they got to get the Death Star plans. Exactly like Rogue One. Yes, that's a real thing. I didn't sell them that size. I sold them like 20 <laughs> drive size. But yeah, big moment, fish and hard drives. <laughs> No, that, that it's a fun little moment. Like, I'll try his birthday. Okay, that didn't work. Reverse birthday. Wife's birthday. Reverse wife's birthday. Like, it's nice little light moments that I don't think we've really gotten in the previous two films. Yeah, we needed more humor, for sure. Isn't it clear now that we're seeing it, what the last movie didn't have? It's like oxygen coming into, like, a vacuum. It's like, oh, wow, I just, I'm able to breathe and enjoy this thing. And even though it's denser and maybe clearly I'm confused by some of these plot points, I'm just having a better time with it. It's just more fun to go along. Yeah, my go-to for a movie that's in our book of underrated films, Elite Squad 2, which I believe you picked, Stuart, like, which... You want to know about the drug war in South America? Here's a film that's an entire data dump, but it's also got a lot of great moments. Like, you get a lot of information, you get some action scenes, and, like, I feel like this one kind of follows that formula, even though this one came out before that. But, yeah, it's a lot of confusing, twisted plot lines, but I'm going with it. I'm intrigued by all the the, the hooks and twists that are going on. So what is the significance that he sits down with Clark... And Clark tips him into Lindo Coffee. I thought that that gave cover to the president's friend and suddenly made all of his shady dealings look innocent. No, it's tipping him off of how it is tying specifically to the cartels when you start looking into this guy's business with Lindo Coffee. I mean, this guy had a lot of businesses. It's through the coffee that they're able to find in Colombia, he was way overpaying for coffee. Right. The money laundering is coming in that way. The drug money goes into the coffee money. And okay. And I thought at this point, again, remembering Willem Dafoe from this movie, I'm like, so these two are going to team up now, right? No, this is kind of like that scene in Heat where you get De Niro and Pacino together and then they come back together at the end. That's what we got going on here. I think we just want to see these two together. I can see the temptation to do that, but I kind of love the fact that they pull back. They're like shadow versions of each other, like evil twins, if you will. Like Jack Ryan is the good one and Willem Dafoe, you know, he he had to go a different path. I mean, you're, yeah, I think you're going to see a, a, a good, bad, and ugly scenario, maybe. Because even Cortez, like, we're going to get a two analysts, like, facing off at one point. The good one and the bad one. And you got the kind of the gray version here with Clark. Yeah, Cortez is his own thing. I mean, again, it really comes up all suddenly in the middle of this movie that we have this Cuban advisor to the drug cartel who is making his own moves. Like, starting with the fact that he finds these bullet casings at the sites of where the drug processing labs are destroyed, knows that they're American, but conceals it from his boss so that he can start, like, needling around with his American contacts. And one of his games is, I'm romancing the secretary of the head of the FBI. Who the FBI guy was and what information he was giving his secretary was a little bit lost on me. Again, there's a lot of people in here. Yeah, what intel was he getting from the secretary? I couldn't follow that. Here's how it played out in the book. It does not play out in the movie. But every time that the boss had a meeting or somewhere to go, this desperate secretary would call up Cortez and be like, oh, I got some free time because my boss is gone. 
And that was valuable to Cortez because they were keeping tracks on the guy. Is that thin? Yeah, it's a little bit. Uh... I mean, here I feel it's like even thinner. It, it's basically here for a plot device so they could get a, a voice recording of him later on in the film and, and put this coincidence together of the FBI director and the secretary being killed on the same day. Yeah, it's again, it's called gisting. We get what they're kind of going for without really understanding the minute details. Yeah, I just expected him to get more like top secrets from her or something. No, she would be wise if he were actually asking for dates and times <laughs> of things her boss is finding out. She's not that dumb. She's not that desperate for love. Oh, she comes off very desperate in this film to me. Yeah, she has a desire to fill up her time, her free time with a man, and she takes free time whenever her boss disappears. And because he's headed to Columbia, then she can call him up. And he's got a very elaborate phone number that goes to an office in Venezuela where they play sound effects of a factory and he pretends that he's what makes tractors i think is what he says that's what he says to the border patrol person at the airport but i don't know if that's what he's telling this fbi secretary and is keeping his story straight throughout or not but is he the latin jack ryan <laughs> No, he doesn't look like a Latin Harrison Ford at all. Not at all. And and Harrison Ford slash Jack Ryan is not the lady killer charmer. You know, unlike Bond, he would never romance a secret out of somebody. Now, this guy, again, does he really need to go to these extremes to do what he's doing? I think he's just starting to realize that he can manipulate people. And through that, he realizes, hey, maybe I could be leading this cartel if I find out a way to wipe out everyone else. He starts building this master plan. I feel like a lot of the scenes with Moira, the FBI secretary, are there just to show that he's duplicitous, that he's kind of doing his own thing and setting up his own empire. And that he kills her. I mean, he could have just ghosted her, right? But he kills her just to make sure that she doesn't say anything. I mean, this was before cell phone selfies. She probably didn't have a picture of him. Yeah, and this was, I think, a better kill than... In the book, she actually just finds out and gets so depressed that she ODs on pills. And it's, again, like all Tom Clancy, just really drawn out for reasons that don't need to be. It's very efficient to have... Again, it feels like a Hitchcock moment. It actually feels worthy of that label that we have this story of this woman who has no idea she's dating a cartel killer. And he's going to actually bother to fly back to America just to snap her on the neck at the <laughs> romantic cottage in the woods. That's cool, man. At least he could have gotten some first. I mean, he seemed to enjoy that with her. But let's talk about action. There wasn't a lot to talk about last time. We had the opening scene in outside Buckingham Palace, and, and that was about it. Here, the comparable one is the Columbia shootout with rocket launchers, guys on roofs that are going to take out the motorcade that has both the FBI director, Emil Jacobs, and Jack Ryan. Just for shits and giggles, he's decided to tag along with his good FBI friend, Dan Murray, who's big in the book, but barely in this movie. Yeah, when they drop his name, like, big time, like, Dan Murray was killed, I'm like, who? Maybe it means something for fans to, like, see these major characters. They call it out so hard in this film. You know, but is it satisfying? I mean, is it satisfying to see a character you love? It's kind of like Dune. It's like, yeah, the David Lynch version. If, like, your favorite character walks on for five seconds and then gets killed, you'd be better off not including him than doing <laughs> him that way, right? 
I don't know, but this is a good scene, like good action scene, like better than again anything we've seen thus far. Sure, I agree with that. It's a skillfully made, exciting, exactly what we needed to wake us up. Yeah, I like how claustrophobic it feels, like in this little alley that they're led down, and yeah, very tight action, but it doesn't feel compromised because of the limited space that they're forced into. And let's just call out: this is the same team as last week. Believe it or not, same director, same cinematographer, same composer, some of the same screenwriters. I mean, like, these are the same people. They they said after Patriot Games, don't go too far because I want to use you again and keep this family going for the next one. They've done that. Did they learn something from Patriot Games? Like, they go, oh, this is definitely what didn't work, or, or were they just luckier this time? Clancy. Clancy got script approval. Clancy demanded rewrites at the drafts he was given. I think Clancy, in addition to getting a payday, wanted a little bit more control over the film. I don't, what I understand is he didn't like this one either, but he tried to guide it more in a direction to be more like his books. I think a rare instance where the author getting involved was a good thing then. Yeah, and I mean, they got good, you know, script doctors too. Steve Zalian won an Oscar for Schindler's List, John Milius, Apocalypse Now. Like, they found a way to take the best stuff in the books, rearrange them, sometimes condense them, throw out the extraneous, and really just give you a series of uh, exciting moments. Like, this movie feels alive in a way that last week it, it never breathed. I mean, the thing just never got off the table. And here, I'm trying to find a moment where I don't like, or at least some partially enjoy, what's going on in screen. I wasn't necessarily into the coincidence that virtually everybody in this convoy dies except Jack Ryan. That, you know, our hero is the one who escapes all of these bazooka shots. It's Harrison Ford. Of course he escapes. Well, again, I mean, you're you're calling out the unlikely, yes, hero that, I mean, that will strain credibility that an analyst has gotten us. He's failed up, right? Like, somehow he just keeps, like, getting promoted and stepping into more situations he shouldn't be able to handle, and yet somehow survives. And... This pisses off the president. They directly challenged the sovereign power of the United States. I thought he was going to, like, go to war at that moment. Yeah. And this was, just to try to clarify, this was not Escobedo hitting this convoy of American representatives. This was Cortez's group that he's trying to help out. It was Cortez framing Escobedo. Yeah. Right. And then when he gets together with Escobedo saying, somebody's trying to frame you, all the cartels should get together and figure it out. And we'll show up late because I know, somehow I know that the Americans are going to strike. Is that why he shows up late? He somehow knew or maybe he suspected that the Americans were involved because he found those casings? I thought it was lucky. Yeah, I just thought Escobedo took an extra long shower that morning and was running late. There are parts of this movie that just don't make sense. That if you really are, if we're going to spend the time trying to find the motives. Yeah, they haven't fixed all the problems from Patriot Games. There's still some things here. No, but but the problem of we were stopping to ask because it insisted it was smarter than the average action movie. Here, it's not saying that it's smarter than the average action movie, but it's going to be an action movie. It's going to keep moving. It's going to keep guessing. And there's just enough here on a thematic level that, yeah, there's always something interesting going on. I just, I can't believe it's like night and day that the movie last week and this week are made by the same people but such a different effect the thing i like that 
I don't know if Clancy puts this in or if it's these screenwriters, but that the mundane can have such an impact on plans. Like last time, Jack may have been killed by Miller had Miller not been stopped by a silly crossing guard. Here, Escobedo and Cortez might have both been killed had they not been running a little bit late. You know, I, I like the little bit of real-worldism in there. I don't know if you've seen the Coen Brothers film Burn After Reading, but I do feel like this is the serious version of that, like where lots of weird little coincidence, and you're like trying to add it up and figure out what's going on, who's on whose side. Like, where is that? The Coen Brothers, they're just going to do a farce, and it's all meaningless. But I do feel like this is the real-world version of that, where like some stupid little mistake in one place sets off a chain of events somewhere else with horrific outcomes. It does feel like something that would normally be played for comedy, and I wonder, you know, that's a fine line to walk, is something like the crossing guard is stopping the assassin. How do you make people not laugh at it? And I think they've done a decent job in these two movies of allowing us to go with the plausibly inconvenient. Well, again, the difference is that I'm having a good time. That's the difference between last week and this week. I think the way I interpret it is Cortez is somehow all-knowing, all-seeing, so shrewd that he somehow, the way I take it is, he somehow knew that he wanted to be on this dirt road that was taking longer and not at the meeting because he just somehow knew that, yeah, the president was going to blow a gasket. Did he know one of the uh, drug lords were going to pull up, like, in a, a Bigfoot-style, like, monster truck? <laughs> I, I do love that scene, and, like, you get Willem Dafoe, oh, we got a new target. It was all set up a bit different. It, it happens in the book, but it was all set up with the idea that it was actually the reciprocity troop that, again, staged what looks like a car bomb so that you would believe it was one of the cartels doing this, but in fact was a new kind of technology, a, some kind of, you know, you can read in the book all the blueprints and plans. Yeah, I appreciate what they do in this film. Like this bomb gets dropped and kills everyone but Escobedo and Cortez. And then this is where you get that little analyst montage of like, yeah, they're looking at the, they're comparing, you know, car bomb craters versus missile craters and analyzing the substance found. And then Cortez is doing the same thing thing and that's all i need nice little montage thank you i finally got that i gotta complain though that missile looked fake as shit well it's 94 i yeah you're right it doesn't look great but i did like that ted Raimi was back as an analyst again and so again is this a step too far i mean i think they play on our heartstrings because children were playing in the backyard but forget all that forget that there were innocent children that got killed do we have the right on a democratic nation to be able to drop bombs without the government knowing like is this an overreach that we should allow because we think that these are bad people sure because i i'm sure we'd all be okay if columbia did this to some gang here on our sovereign soil as well <laughs> it, it goes both ways right sure yeah and the thing is what i like about the defoe character is he knows and Chavez is like, what do you want me to do? As in, do you want me to abort? You know, he's holding the red laser on what the missile is going to hit. They could save everybody's life. They could save the children's life if they just removed that red laser. And Clark goes with it. You know, he makes that hard moral choice of do the mission. The mission is paramount. 
even if there's collateral damage. And while Clark is good with it, the president is not good with it. Dead children does not look good politically. And they're not going to take responsibility for this anyway. I mean, again, the whole idea is they took these mercenaries' dog tags. Nobody knows they're there. It was a big subplot in the book that people were looking for Chavez and his brother of... I don't even want to go into it. But the point is, the story really was, on one hand, about these people that had disappeared from American soil and the people left behind wanting to find them and finding out they're mixed up in something really bad here in South America. I don't know if enough of that story comes through here. I wonder if that hasn't gotten lost. I didn't get that repeated down here, just the president's friend. I mean, but do you feel bad, I guess, for, God, dare I even bring up his name, Benjamin Bratt or the Chavez kid? Do you have a sense that they're people with a, a story and and that they're being manipulated? I feel like Chavez definitely is a person with a story because he had a big introduction. So obviously that's someone they want me to pay attention to. Benjamin Bratt, they don't want me to pay attention to him. Like, I don't even know what his role is here. But I, I do feel like Clark and Chavez are the are moral compasses for this team of commandos. Yeah, and I feel bad for the commandos that they get hung out to dry. I like the team, even if I don't like them individually. Are they mercenaries? Because I thought they were actual military recruits. That's why they have the dog tags. That's why they came from Ritter. And... That they took their mission and were told they'd have their choice of special ops assignments if they survived, that they are just hung out to dry later on. I care for them as a group, but I don't care about them individually. Yeah, I guess all I'm saying is maybe this movie could have found 10 more minutes, uh, reduced something else, gotten rid of uh, Kathy Ryan, I think would be what I would cut out. (laughs) I don't need 10 more names that I need to remember in this film, Stuart. I don't know. I just I just would have liked to seen one of these people be a character. And it was such a big part of the book. And I spent so much time with them. I feel like it's wrong to turn them into just political props. And stereotypical troops. But yeah, I, I agree with you. But I just, I enjoy the time I spend with them, even if I don't get to know their names, when they are blowing up the drug labs and things. They're very effective. I guess we do get them in the in those moments. I'm more paying attention to the explosions than to them, but yes, they are throughout this movie worked in to create chaos in Colombia. And because Cortez is, I guess, just as much an analyst as Jack Ryan is, he figures out that missile is from the U.S., so he decides to blackmail the government? Calls up Cutter? Yeah, I mean, it's shrewd. It's bold. I mean, you gotta like him for that reason. If, if no other. I love how utilitarian is like, look, we're going to cut the amount of cocaine that's coming in. We're going to have more heads of the cartels arrested so you look good politically. Like, this is a great utilitarian compromise to propose. He deserves to run the cartel. Quite frankly, (laughs) he earns it. I actually think he would do a better job than this wannabe Pablo Escobar. But yeah, this is where Cutter goes from morally ambiguous to downright evil, agreeing that he'll give up the location of the troops. That's the one thing you don't do, right? Yeah. And shut down the program, too, of just like, okay, this is getting too close to us. I'm going to go talk to the president. And he's like, yep, it's time to turn this off. Yeah, not even tell the troops to get out of there. Just like, oh, we're cutting off your phone service. Like, literally cut off their satellite phones. And this is where you really do need Jack Ryan and the 
the hacker guy to to figure it all out. Yeah, I love he, he has to write a code because it's going to be considerably tougher than just birth dates. Yeah, the CIA guy, Ritter, is, is holding out on them. So this was a change. The screenwriters were really excited that like email was a new thing and that they could actually do this. Yeah, I got to say, sitting through a bunch of awful hacker films from the 90s where they try to make it look exciting, I kind of appreciate it. Artie, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems more or less pretty realistic here. No. <laughs> Okay, it's better than hackers. I'll give it that then. <laughs> no, but I'm just not into it when I, the scene is two middle-aged men hitting the return key real hard so that it's <laughs> son of a bitch. I think this is where he does his son of a bitch. <laughs> it is. The thing is, if you have a document open and somebody deletes it, it's not like it just disappears from your screen. Yeah, I did think that. I'm like, that's come on, that's saved in the RAM. You could still print that if you haven't closed the window. And I thought the hacker guy, I mean, I do realize this was 1994, but it was the CIA. They had to have tape backups. They had to have backups somewhere <laughs> of every file on every computer. All I'm saying, they weren't like sending skulls to each other's screens as they were having hacker battles. <laughs> and if you want to have a suspenseful moment where these two jockey about who's going to find out what and, and how, who's going to get who, I do feel like this would feel high tech to an audience that probably hadn't been online yet. Or if so, through American Online. Like, you know, they really didn't know much about the internet. So this would feel very fresh and very cutting edge, the kinds of things you want in a techno thriller. And even after, like, they have this whole little hacking fight here, the, the face-off that Ryan and Ritter do have, you know, uh, talking about things are gray, they're not black and white, and Ritter lays out, like, how he's going to get off scot-free again, just continually building that tension. Ryan has a character trait that he's a Boy Scout, that he won't lie, and now he's being put in a situation where you should probably just lie. Like, I... Again, these are just little things I, I'm seeing in this one that I didn't get in Patriot games that make me more invested with maybe I don't quite care about Jack Ryan a whole lot, but these are really interesting problems that he's getting into and I want to see how he gets out. And Ritter gives him some good advice. I have no recollection. You need to learn that term. It worked for Ollie North. It's an undersold moment, but I do feel like dramatically it kind of helps that Greer dies around this time too. That suddenly Jack, who thought, oh, I'm only filling in, don't even box up my boss's stuff. It's going to stay here in this office because he's going to come back. No, he's not. He's not. He, you know, gave his opinion from the hospital bed that this was bad, that Jack needed to follow his his moral compass and now jack is alone he's got to figure this out on his own this is how you want to portray a hero as he begins to enter the final act the climax of the film like it just makes it more exciting that you had all the american players there though that the president of the united states is speaking at james earl jones funeral and cutter is there and ritter is there i felt like this was going to be a big dramatic scene that it was James Earl Jones funeral, and then we just move on. No, I, to me, I got a sense of the danger that Jack was really in, that everyone's putting on this public face, coming out for Greer's funeral, but they're all plotting against him. Yeah, and there's metaphor in the way they fold up that flag and hand it off about, like, they're just wrapping this all up. This is all being shut down and buried, and Greer will find out he's going to take the fall for all of it, and so will Jack. And so, yeah, that it just feels like the hero losing control of the plot and not sure of where to go next. And really, it is his second mission, you know, to figure out that he's got to go rescue these troops. 
go down to Columbia and basically convince a man that is being told, you need to kill Jack Ryan. Yeah, because Ritter has called Clark saying, if you kill Ryan, we'll turn the operation back on and you can rescue your men. Uh, Fortunately, Clark is smarter than that. Yeah, just lie. (laughs) They didn't ask for proof of death. Yeah, it was, it was handled well. I could spot the surprise. I think all audiences would, but it's just kind of fun the way that we see him very intently, like grabbing Jack Ryan from the airport at gunpoint and, you know, calling and saying, I've killed him. We know he hasn't. We know that Harrison Ford is not going to die in this way off screen, no less. But yeah, it's kind of fun to see Clark testing the waters, seeing how much he can trust the CIA agent, which, you know, surprise, surprise, not at all. And so, yeah, it's team-up time, and this is what we wanted. This is exactly the thing that you save and keep for the climax, even though we could have probably enjoyed a whole movie of this. Yeah, but this doesn't happen in the book, right? I do feel like this is a Jack Ryan film. He needs to be there on this final mission to go along with Clark. Even though he's got that Marine training background, this does feel like a, a big kind of mission for him to go on. And then he writes a $2 million check for a POS chopper. He's got that CIA checkbook. That Huey, yeah. Yeah, nothing that happens next. None of it is in the book. (laughs) The drunken pilot that can't stay awake? No, nothing. No, Jack Ryan, again, is barely in the book. So, yeah, much more about Clark, much less about Jack Ryan. But it's fun to see this team up. And again, they do have good chemistry together. You kind of wish that Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery, I guess they did a little bit, but like if they could have had a moment where they were like packing pistols and doing some badass stuff, like you you just, you want to see these two people that have been kept apart for the whole movie do something together. This movie gets it right by giving them this jungle adventure. And the fact that this has been about, you know, this gray morality that sometimes your alliances aren't ideal the fact that jack has to go to escobedo and kind of befriend him at least to find out where those soldiers are and you know tells him about cortez like you do get this weird alliance for a little bit between escobedo and jack ryan yeah that's always fun to play with the idea is the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of stuff here that yeah the man that we were so sure was scarface again pablo escobar no friend to the cia But uh, we have a reason to team up, and it's because of this Cuban that's double-timing you and is trying to, you know, extort power from the U.S. government now. But this is where I think you said having some humor in here is good, Stuart. It goes too far when Ryan is in Escobedo's home and... Clark is calling for that pilot, and that pilot's just asleep in the chopper. He's like, you, Clark is a smarter man than to hire this idiot. Yeah, that it was one joke that didn't land. It doesn't have much consequence anyway. I, I've appreciated most of the humor. The, again, the, the whole buying, or I don't have a helicopter for rent, but I do have one for sale. Like, yeah, this is one bad joke. Most of the humor has worked for me. It felt like an outtake from the A-Team with Murdoch. And it's probably generous to give audiences broad humor to laugh at, because I imagine there's some people in the audience that are really confused about what's going on. This movie is asked a little bit more than previous Jack Ryan adventures and most action movies. But we're going to end with every Harrison Ford film. He's going to throw roundhouse punches and haymakers like he's on Star Trek 66. He's going to be able to rescue... This is the... I'm not exactly sure why... Uh, they've kept the troop alive. They've, they've killed most of them, but they captured, I guess for bribery reasons. They can use this to shame the U.S. They can put them in front of the cameras and, and have these American citizens admit uh, what they've been doing in the jungle. They have them behind bars for reasons, 
And now, yes, Jack Ryan, John Clark, and the sniper, Chavez, are all going to team up here to free them. A great escape. I wish it weren't in a coffee plant. Can I say that much? <laughs> yeah, I, you say great escape. It's an okay escape. Yeah. Like that shootout in the alleyway with the convoy. Like that was a really fun action scene. A lot of tension. This one, it feels more rote. Like I'm not going to be surprised that Jack Ryan's going to come in. Well, he kind of saves the day. He's not going to get the kill shot on Cortez, which is a little weird. That's what you'd expect in an action film. No, they give the sniper the kill shot. They, again, they're trying to be respectful of everyone's role. The analyst just can somehow climb girders and kick it through tin roofs. My problem with it was, during all the shooting, Jack tells Clark, you go with the two wounded guys, I'll stay back and cover you. No, reverse that. Clark knows how to shoot. Clark is a commando. Ryan should have been helping the two guys limp out of there while Clark stayed back to shoot at people. He's an analyst, but he's Harrison Ford. Yeah, but I also think that they try to pair him with Cortez, who you've you've said is kind of an analyst as well. And, you know, they, they definitely show that he's shorter than Harrison Ford. They have a fight, like, by logs. Like, it, it, yeah. it, it does feel <laughs> like they get the loser fight while, like, the sniper is doing the more hard stuff, getting to the chopper, saving the men. But that's really a fake climax. That's a climax for the people who are here for an action film. To me, the real climax, the real suspense comes when Jack gets back to the States. Oh, I love all the, Yeah, when he has to go talk to the president. Like, this is tense. This is good stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember this from the trailer. How dare you, sir? Grandstanding. I do feel like... I never watched The West Wing, but it's my imagination of every episode <laughs> of The West Wing. You're not far off. This is like the last five minutes of every episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Grandstanding. We just... Sometimes it's exactly what you need. And I do feel like in the 90s... The president became a character. Like, it was before that, you didn't have too many movies that would have a president as a major character. And then it just, we became very comfortable with our presidents, and we wanted to know them in deeper ways. And so there were a lot of TV shows and movies where, yeah, we could just find out about them. And so, yeah, the fact that we know Bennett's character and we see him weaselly trying to get out of everything that he's done by saying, yes, I'm shocked, shocked by all that I've just discovered and you and I need to go do something about it. Ryan could take the easy path. If he weren't the Boy Scout, he probably could just go, yeah, sure, sir, okay. But we wouldn't like him if he did. Yeah, there's the speechifying, and I thought Jack might take the deal a couple times. Harrison Ford plays this well. Every so often, he gets a look on his face when the president's like, all you're going to do is dishonor the memory of your friend, and you're going to go down. And Cutter and Ritter are going to slap on the wrist and then make a ton of money on the book tour. But you are going to lose everything if you do this. What you're going to do is keep this as a chip in your back pocket until you need a favor from me, which in this kind of environment might be tomorrow the way every single person is undercutting everybody else in the White House. But no, Jack's not going to do that. He's going to stand on his morality because Admiral Greer gave that good speech. You took an oath, not to me, not to the president, but to the people of the United States. 
Yeah, and I do think that, like, this movie would never sell Jack Ryan short, but I do feel like, in reality, an analyst that finds himself in this situation would probably sign on for it if it didn't mean smearing the name of someone he respected in the CIA who had just died. You know what I mean? Like, he just put it in the ground and you want to blame him for it all? Like, that. I'll take the blame, but you're not going to hurt him. Yeah, I feel like when Greer's reputation is brought into this is where Jack makes his decision that he's going to stand up and be that Boy Scout. It's an easier decision at that point. It's like, oh, I was thinking about it, but hell no. But we're going to end on a better cliffhanger than what is the sex of the baby. One we'll never know the outcome of. Yeah. Will Jack Ryan keep his job? Will the president be impeached? What's going to happen after this subcommittee hearing? I thought it was a little hokey, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, that here comes the Boy Scout to testify. Because look, whatever the president said, that is how this is going to turn out. Like, I do feel like he's the one that's going to go down while everyone else gets a slap on the wrist. Yeah, they're in uncharted waters. The ending of the book is somewhat different. And there's a moral decision to be made, but it has more to do with what do we do with Cortez and nothing to do with the president. Yeah, but well, with the next one, I mean, is the next one a sequel, a prequel? When we see Ben Affleck, is he fired? Yeah, it's all hearings. That's the whole thing. It's just them sitting in the Senate questioning Jack Ryan and him saying, I don't recall. And does Jack Ryan have some strange aging disease where he's <laughs> 30, 50, 20? Like, will he be a, a kid? Kid Ryan in the in the sixth movie? <laughs> yeah, I want to know how, if they even bother to try to bring them together. Yeah, 30 and 84 and still 30 after 9-11. I could see that as the cartoon series, you know, Kid Jack. (laughs) But while we wait for the Senate subcommittee's verdict, what is your verdict? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend clear and present danger? Jacob. I'll just say right off the start, best of the Clancy adaptations we've reviewed thus far, which was a surprise to me. I was not expecting this, especially after Patriot Games. I thought I was going to be in for kind of another boring, dry, maybe kind of an action film, kind of a political thriller. But no, this one, my real issues with Red October was there was a lot of great little, again, dilemmas and problems they had to solve, but it was so cerebral, it's easy to like miss all the mechanizations between the, the Soviets and the Americans and all that stuff that's going on. It's, it's just so dense. I'm like, uh, lighten it up a little bit. Like, l- let me be able to really get into this. And this film, which is probably just as complicated, like there are so many different plots and conspiracies and... and things going on behind everyone's back you can get really lost in it but i feel like the big hooks i'm able to understand like that jack ryan if he goes and testifies that's a bad thing for him and what do you do with these cartels like i I just feel like there's a lot of little dilemmas here that really are interesting things that i want to see play out and i get to see him play out pretty satisfactorily and yeah the action is pretty good in here towards the end. It's a little rope, but really great action scene in the middle of this one. Like, this one I, I actually enjoyed. Uh, I got all all the little things that I w- wanted to see improved a little bit more from, like, Red October, and I feel like they did that here. So this one, yeah, this is a solid recommend. I really enjoyed Clear and Present Danger. Stuart. Yeah, my favorite novel, and I don't know. I'm, I'm, It's weird to say, but yeah. 
is that blasphemy? Because I know Red October is the iconic one. It may not be better than Red October, but I actually felt myself more engaged with it. I was more intellectually stimulated because there were Patriot games and consequences. And we all knew how the Cold War ended up. We all knew that the sub was not going to fire a nuke on America. There was a lot of air let out of that balloon early, whereas here... Yeah, even having read the book, there was a lot of things that were different and changed, and I wondered, how was Jack Ryan going to deal with it all? It's probably the best balance of the action, the politics, and Clancy's fetishizing of technology that we've seen so far. And I actually think that Ford, it helps that he's in a better film. How about that? I don't know if he's giving a better job, but I'm with him more. He's doing better detective work. Yeah, I buy his Jack Ryan more in this film than the last one. It helps he has a great foil. Like, we can all agree, right, that Willem Dafoe makes him better, makes his game elevated. I'm going to say almost as good as Connery, Arnie. I, I won't go beyond Connery, but I do feel like he works in the same way. And because they get to come together and collaborate at the end, it helps Jack Ryan be more heroic. The action set pieces are way better than anything we've seen in either of the previous movies. And it makes me wish that we would see Jack Ryan become president. I actually feel like I'm a little sad that the Harrison Ford years are over and whatever we get next week, probably... If I want the sequel, I guess go to Air Force One is what you guys are telling me. I, you're not going to be as satisfied just knowing your taste, Stuart, but yes, it does feel like a sequel to these ones. As far as Harrison Ford goes, it seems like when looking at his later career parts, this is one of the better ones and an entertaining recommendable film and i'll agree with you guys in the blasphemy that of the ones we've seen so far this one is i feel the best i think it's the one so far that is the most rewarding in a suspense thriller mystery kind of way you know who all the players are it's not overly stuffed with people who you can't keep track of there's no random guy coming in at the end to foil a plot there is a lot going on, and this is a active engagement movie. This is one where you don't want your cell phone going off, you don't want to be letting your dog out during it, you don't want to walk away from this movie. Give yourself completely, yeah. Yeah, even though it's almost two and a half hours, I was stuck to the screen the whole time watching this. Me too, and because of now playing, I think I engaged more than I might have normally, where I was absorbing every line and really paying attention to every character and where they were on the chessboard at every given scene. And the twists and turns this takes, I did not see coming. And yes, Willem Dafoe and the Commandos, I'd like just a movie about them. The problem is we do end with a silly climax that I felt was there to appease Harrison Ford's virility and action hero status. I mean, it is just a step below a president punching a terrorist in Air Force One. And the ending coffee factory escape almost undermines a film that I felt was really good in suspense and tension and conspiracy. Listen, I'm not going to say I love it. I'm not going to call it one of my favorite films of all time, but I am going to say this is a recommend. Yeah, I, we're all on the same page. Yay. And what a nice thing to go from kind of ambivalence to at least be solidly into like, yeah, I kind of feel like I like what they're doing now. They're getting their act together. So let's change everything. New director, new star. Yeah, let's not put out a film for a, quite a while. <laughs> 
ask. Yeah, I, I don't know what is in the book. I know I saw this one. This is the only Jack Ryan movie I saw after Patriot Games, and I don't remember a thing about it. It's the post-9-11 one. This is about terrorists attacking us on our soil. Like, not just, uh, well, they are going to change the race. They're going to make them like Russian skinheads or something. There's a lot of controversy over that when it came out. I did go see this in theaters. Ben Affleck, he was still riding high as the It Boy from Goodwill Hunting. And his work with Kevin Smith. I was newly married. Star Wars Episode Two and Spider-Man had already come out. So my wife and I were like, let's go see this Jack Ryan film. Yeah. I don't remember what I thought of it, which is probably a, a review in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. I'm in that same boat. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember much. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it didn't leave an impact, but maybe now that we've been going through and I will be reading the book, I'll have a deeper perspective. I look forward to it. And in the meantime, this Friday, for something totally, completely as far away from Jack Ryan and serious tension as you can get, Sleepaway Camp 2. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, celebrate its release. We're also going to do another one of our live shows. This time, Justin is hosting. You can join us there on the Hot Mic app, and you can hear Sleepaway Camp 2 on our patron feed or by donating directly to us. And again, we want to thank some of our patrons of $50 or more. Chicago 09. The whole city? (laughs) No, just nine of them. Oh, okay. (laughs) Chris... Darth Ikari, who I've known for years. Thank you for the support. That's amazing. And Jeffrey. Once again, thank you, everyone. Appreciate it so much. Yeah. Thanks for showing up. And join us again for all the what's to come. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, I'm sorry I don't dance. Stop the launch sequence. Lasseter here. Flash override. Stop the sequence. Stop the sequence. Order the planes to stand down. Take us to DEFCON 3. And would somebody ask Mr. Ryan if I can use the phone now? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Anywhere you can get that Boy Scout on a field trip look off your face? Not a chance. That's what I like about you. We hope you've enjoyed the show. A great day, comrades. We sail into history. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. So, you feel like a movie this weekend? Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. He's listening to it on his headsets, and he's just happy as a clam. And then all hell breaks loose. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Reciprocity. That's a clever name for it. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. When the world trembled at the sound of our rockets, well, they will tremble again at the sound of our silence. 
You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. I want the money in my account before I move an inch. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. You're either with us or you're against us, Jimmy Boy. Make up your mind. Oh, I'm with you. That's all I wanted to hear. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Oh, did they hit anybody's Instagram, Facebook, Hopscotch, Reddit, no, anything? No, none. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. When's the last time you slept? Wow. Associate produced by Jason Latham. If you disregard my counsel, if you keep running your business the way you have been, with your balls instead of your head, two things will happen. I'll quit, and you'll get killed. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Like Beethoven on the computer, you have labored to produce. Now Playing credits read by Brock. And a voice cried out from heaven saying, it is done. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I said, speak your mind, Jack, the Jesus. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. I don't imagine the boys on the hill have proved this. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. But the day that I sell out my countrymen will be the day that I put a bullet through my own head. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Welcome to the new world, sir. Stephen King is living proof that no matter how unsatisfied he is by every adaptation of his work, he keeps selling them. Do you know there are people in my Stephen King group who actually believe the Shining miniseries is better? They're wrong. They are objectively wrong. <laughs> that is tragic. It's, you feel like they're in a cult. You know, like next stop, Guyana or Hail Bop or something. <laughs> they probably also love Tommyknockers. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is kind of like that scene in Heat where you get De Niro and Pacino. Pacino together. I know, I kept wanting to say Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very different film. <laughs> oh.